And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys had a great, great weekend. Um, Yeah, a ton to get to today. As always, a ton of news to break down today. I was joined by my good friend Stephen Harriet, who is uh, the editor for CatholicVote.org and the host of CVTV over at Catholic Vote. Uh, Great guy. Always good chatting with Stephen. We talked about uh, the new uh, pro-life movie, Unplanned. Um, We talked about uh, the clown car, which is uh, the 2020 Democratic field. And uh, yeah, it was a good chat. I think you guys will appreciate it. Uh, Before I get to Stephen, I need to remind you, follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Tweet at us. We always tweet back. And guys, get with it. You got to subscribe. Subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play if you're on iTunes. Please give us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate that. All right, without further ado, here is my chat with Stephen Harriet. All right, guys, we are here with the Ginger Crusader himself, Stephen Harriet. Stephen, thanks so much for taking the time, my friend. You're welcome. You know, it's only my face that's ginger. My hair is not red. Damn it. For some reason, everyone thinks it is. Well, I don't blame them because I have a red, red beard. All right, I'll start over. We're here with the man who yells, God wills it at the top of his lungs anytime he enters a room. Stephen Harriet from <laughs> CatholicVote.org. <laughs> How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing really, really well. I've got a new show out called CVTV. We upload twice a week, and we're almost surpassing PewDiePie in uh, subscribers on YouTube. Just a couple hundred million behind PewDiePie. I, I don't know how many he has, but it's some ridiculous astronomical number. Close to 100 million. That's just insane. Yeah. That's just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he does just video game stuff, right? He's like a gamer. and. Oh, no, not at all. At this point, he's a comedic commentator. He, mo- he, does, ah. he does fewer and fewer game plays, although that is, to be fair, how he got famous. He doesn't do game plays almost at all anymore. He's mostly really a, a, a comedic commentator. Yeah. Weird. 100 million. He's apparently doing something right. <laughs> Holy smokes. All right, so let's jump into the news of the day. Um, first, I just want to start uh, briefly uh, talking about the new pro-life movie, um, Unplanned, which is becoming a huge hit across the country. Uh, they had a limited debut in select theaters um, last week, and they sold out, and I believe this week they're adding something like 700 new theaters. Um, it's, it's basically the first conservative film in a long, long time to have any level of success they've, they've made something around six million dollars which i think tripled what they expected to make opening weekend so it is encouraging um i haven't seen the film yet you have so you can speak to it better than me um but it, it is encouraging to see a pro-life film uh have some success yes and 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 in in a word my review i did see it i loved it uh and in a word my review is that it isn't conservative and it isn't pro-life and that's what i love about it it's the first pro-life film from a pro-choice perspective. And so it really, it's a movie that invites everyone in from every, every uh, angle of the, of the debate. It, and that's incredible. No one has ever been able to achieve that because most pro-life and conservative films start out by saying, hello, 
we're here with a pocket protector and a tie to knock on your door and tell you about Jehovah. And most people react to that by saying, "What? what no, you, you, you're saying that you're right and you're, you're, you're here to make me convinced, which is very uninviting. Well, this film doesn't do that more than any other pro-life film I've ever seen or conservative film I've ever seen. This is actually just a film that tells an authentic and sincere story from the perspective of a person who has a story arc and a character arc, which is Abby Johnson. She's a person who starts out as obviously like an ambitious Planned Parenthood employee, right? She's pro-choice throughout almost the whole film. And you slowly see her react to, you know, the reality of the of abortion, the more she sees of it and the more she sees of the industry and the shady nature of the industry, the abortion industry. Um, and she has this real authentic story. And I'm like, if I had never thought of abortion before, I, I, I'd be really I'd find this extremely compelling. So, I mean, really, like I said, that's what I loved about it is that it didn't it didn't feel like a product of the pro-life movement. Most of the film felt like the product of a genuine person who you care about, you know. Right. And it is a true story. It's a story of uh, uh, Abby Johnson, um, who worked for Planned Parenthood for a long time and then had uh, a bit of an awakening. Um, I, I do like the fact that this this movie is not like a quote unquote Christian film either, you know, because we all know all there's never been a, a, a good Christian movie um, in the history of movies. Um, I, I do stand by that. You know, there's no Kirk Cameron, for instance, in, in this movie. Thank God. Um, so that's that's really cool. I'm glad that it's, it's a kind of a movie that can appeal to a, a a wide swath of, of people. I think that's hard to do, especially on such a polarizing topic like abortion. Um, the left really does not want people to see this movie. Uh, Twitter banned the unplanned movies uh, Twitter account. Uh, I believe that what was that last night that they did that for absolutely no reason. Um, and that totally completely backfired. It completely backfired. Uh, I think they had like 4,000 or 6,000 Twitter followers at the time. Now, what did you say they have now? And let me look it up. It's like, it's over 260,000. Over 262,000 followers, and that all happened in the last 24 hours. Well, yeah, for perspective, before before uh, the Twitter uh, took any action against their Twitter account, they had fewer than 7,000 followers. They now have 270,000, roughly. You know, I'm starting to think that the left just doesn't understand how God works. Um, <laughs> persecution uh, tends to backfire. Uh, you know, look no further than the last 2,000 years of Christianity and then another 2,000 years of Judaism before uh, before Christ. Uh, trying to suppress the truth just doesn't work. The truth does find does does find the light of day. Um, it's it's really funny that that big tech and and the left in general is trying to silence this movie instead of trying to fight um, the, the the premise within the movie. Persecuting the, the truth just does not work. The left just does not understand how the truth works, how God works in general. Hey Amen. That's a really cool insight. Have anything to add, Stephen? <laughs> uh, well, I, uh, <laughs> a, 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 amen. Yes, sir. Bless me, Father. Right. <laughs> it, it is. It's really astounding. And it wasn't just Twitter and big tech that were trying to censor this. They they couldn't advertise on on any platforms. Yeah, I believe they they were advertising on K Love, which is a like a praise and worship kind of uh, soft rock pop Christian radio station. They also have soft uh, backbones. Yes, yeah, and, I mean they no one had the balls to to take their advertising money, which is hilarious. Um, 
I mean, I'll take anybody's advertising money as long as the company isn't like completely immoral. <laughs> so yeah, uh, because I'm because I'm poor. But and then they they also hit him with an R rating. Yes. Uh, obviously, I haven't seen the movie yet. I'm guessing I know the answer. Yeah. Is there anything in this film that would justify an R rating? In a way, yeah. In a way, yeah. I mean, it 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 it, it, it include. Wow, I just I just pulled a Barack Obama. It, 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 um, <laughs> no, but it includes depictions really of abortion uh, that are artistically done, tastefully done, but but they really are disturbing, extremely disturbing. Uh, in, in a way, I mean, wouldn't you rate? Uh, you know, there aren't any videos, there aren't any movies about the Holocaust that aren't R-rated. You know, the subject matter is that horrifying. Uh, even if it's That's done true. fairly and tastefully. I, uh, and I, I take back my previous statement then, and uh, like I said, I am commenting on a movie I haven't seen yet. Classic Brady Leonard. <laughs> so, thanks for clearing that up. Uh, yeah, I guess that does make perfect sense, though, since you are depicting uh, the brutality of, of abortion. Um, before we move on, uh, I want to talk the 2020 Democratic field, all the, the clown car of candidates running for president. But now that we are talking about this movie and on the, the subject of of uh, of abortion, you obviously are the editor for CatholicVote.org. And I, I we constantly ask these questions of the Catholic community and the, the Jewish community, both of which overwhelmingly vote Democrat. We don't need to go too far into that. It's well known at this point especially because of the radical positions that the Democrats have taken on things, on just about everything, but specifically on the abortion issue and the infanticide issue, rather. You know, we're talking uh, fourth trimester abortion is now being endorsed by the Democratic Party. Is there a chance at a certain point, like just take take the issue of abortion, is that going to turn some Catholics away from the Democratic Party? Are they going to start giving the, the Republicans a second look. Like, if infanticide doesn't do it, honest to God, I don't know what will. Oh, absolutely. So the abortion industry is is, is repellent. Uh, people who are not even familiar with the issue are becoming disgusted with the abortion industry. Right. The Democratic Party, uh, mysteriously, has totally decided to paint themselves into a corner. Now, they could move forward on a lot of their general kind of, I guess, socialist, socialistic kind of policy goals in a way that would not turn off ordinary average Joe Americans. They could. And they could dump abortion. They could dump the abortion industry and say, you know what? You guys are gross. No one likes you. <laughs> so bye. Um, we're, we're dropping that from our platform and we're going to move forward on our, our actually quite winning uh, uh, rhetoric about caring for the poor, caring for the environment. There are a lot of things that Democrats do that actually outperform uh, the, the GOP in polls. Um, but they choose to make abortion the cornerstone of their platform. And um, absolutely, the abortion issue is turning around. Um, I definitely believe that, that it's, uh, it's going the way of, uh, of, the, of the American slave trade. It's going to lose completely lose support. Everyone's going to hate it. In our lifetime, and it's going to be people are going to remember it. Like, who on earth supported that? Like, what kind of creeps would support? Just like we think of uh, of slavery and people who radically defended slavery and the right to own slaves. People are like, what kind of monsters? <laughs> you know, that's crazy. Luckily, very few people, in my opinion, I'm becoming more and more convinced. Very, very few people are pro-abortion. Very few people. Uh, in my opinion, most Americans. Well, I'll take it back. All Americans know 
that abortion is unconscionable. Okay, but Group A, uh, understandably, just kind of tries not to think about it because it's a fact of our current cultural and political regime that it's legal, you know, law of the land, Roe v. Wade and all that. It's legal and it's commonly accessed. And so they're like, ugh, it's unthinkable. It's so creepy. I don't even want to think about it. it because if I had to, th if I thought about it, I'd end up having to become like basically an SJW against it, <laughs> like, you know, because right. it's a social right. justice issue. Um, and I would feel, I mean, I would feel the incredible weight of, res of the responsibility of living during a time when a, when a horrible thing is commonly practiced, you know, it's understandable, right? If you're white, wealthy, and comfortable during the slave, during American slavery, when that was generally accepted in the South, it would have been hard to speak up against it, right? You right, would say, no, I totally, it's just, it's I totally a thing, agree. so, you know? So that's the same way people are with abortion. Then there's group. There's another group that desperately wants to put an end to it, right? And then there's the uh, that's uh, the pro-life movement. And then there's the third group, which is the few people who uh, wickedly seek to salve their consciences, although they know by offering loud justifications for it. That's a very small minority. I'm very convinced that almost no one falls into that category. A few politically and monetarily motivated activists, and they do not represent the vast majority of Americans. And as pro-lifers who are already convinced in trying to put an end to the abortion issue, we should spend a lot more time making friends with that first group I mentioned, people who know it's unconscionable, but they're understandably averting their eyes. Right. And polls back up what you just said, by the way, Stephen. I mean, 81 percent of Americans want abortions banned after the first trimester. Mm hmm. So that, that includes, you know, the half the country or 45 percent of the country or whatever who are pro-choice. And I, I've never seen I don't think they've really done polls on uh, infanticide <laughs> like the, the governor of Virginia. Virginia has been suggesting that, you know, in a, during a botched abortion, uh, a baby can just be set aside and then, I don't know, shot in the head or strangled or, or you know, stabbed to death. Or I don't know how you would dispatch of a uh, living child outside. Of no, the womb, but vir virtually, I, I want, virtually. Yeah, virtually everyone's yeah. virtually everybody in America is mortified at that thought. Yeah, I I can't imagine that more than one percent of the population is is okay with that. Um, you know, do you think that the Democrats obviously know how unpopular their radical views on abortion are? I I I, I sort of think that a lot of it's just moving the Overton window. They're just seeing what they can get away with, and that they're floating these radical ideas out there. They'll get shot down, and then they'll try them again in 10 years. I mean, it's just about expanding the Overton window to things like infanticide, stuff like that. Uh, do, do you think that is is playing a factor in this? Yeah, sure, but it's not working. And, um, it, it, you know, it, ultimately, like you said, uh, persecution tends to have a backlash effect. And, um, you know, there's a great quote. I forget who it was by, so I'll just take credit for it. <laughs> it was by Stephen Harriet, of course. Yeah, but it was about communism. And in mid 20th century, uh, when communism really seemed to be ascendant, um, one person who I think had been a victim of communism uh, to some degree, he, he said that basically communism isn't, isn't going to win because it's it, it's it's predicated on the uh, suppression of hu of human nature of of mankind himself, and mankind, unfortunately. Unless you completely annihilate mankind, literally kill everybody, uh, human nature is always born anew in the image and likeness of God with every generation. And our hearts are inclined uh, 
toward things that are incompatible with the dark and and and, supp- and, and suppressive ideology of communism. And uh, same goes for abortion. I mean, it, every new generation that's born has to be has to be sort of decoded. Uh, what, what do you call it? has to be deconstructed, broken, to, right. to accept this this horror. And it, we have to be broken. And and if you don't break us, we automatically end up being enemies of the abortion regime. And right. so, no, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. One, one more thing. I know I, I said one more thing before, but one more thing on the abortion issue. I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. I don't remember if it was with you or with someone else, but I, I totally agree with what you suggested earlier, that abortion will go the way of slavery. You know, if you fast forward 150 years, uh, future generations will look back on our generation and think we're absolutely monstrous. I mean, like, what what were these people doing? One, because abortion's morally abhorrent. And, you know, anybody that that's listened to your show or that's listened to my show knows exactly, you know, where we come from in terms of God, in terms of our faith. So we don't even need to get into that right now. But uh, even just from practical application, you know, like we are going to be an interplanetary species here soon. Like, we're going to be colonizing Mars, and we're going to colonize other solar systems outside of our own solar system, right? Like, it's going to be—like, now we're, we're at a point where China and India and, and some of these overpopulated countries are trying—and Japan are trying to get people to have less kids. And uh, once we're an interplanetary species, governments are going to be begging people to have 12 kids. Because like, we're going to need the labor, right? Like, we're going to be building colonies on other planets. People are like, all right, we need kids. Like, we need people to go— uh, you know, build colonies on these other planets. Like, I cannot believe that a hundred years ago, people were trying to have less kids. That's insane. But like, what, they were they were killing children. Like, they didn't want. Like, they were taking birth control. Like, they didn't want to have eighteen kids. That's crazy. Like, we need. You know, we're we're trying to build farms on Mars. It takes a lot of work. You know, like it's <laughs> not even just the the God thing or, or the things that we're talking about right now in the pro life movement. Like, just from p- practicality in the future we're going to need more human beings not less and uh people will look back on our generation like wow like they were so backwards they didn't even make any sense i have never thought of that before (laughs) (laughs) see when everybody else is like playing video games and stuff i'm up in the middle of night thinking about stuff like that because i'm insane yeah could you tell me who your dealer is (laughs) (laughs) a friend wouldn't ask and a gentleman wouldn't tell uh, All right. <laughs> so, so let's move on. Let's talk about the uh, the clown car, which is the 2020 Democratic field. Uh, I believe we're up to 21 Democrats have declared that they're running for president. Um, or maybe it's 19. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Some uh, upper teens, low 20, something like that. That number will balloon to, I don't know, 700 roughly, or something. Roughly, by... Yeah, it's, it's a number. <laughs> I think it's 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 somewhere in the area of a number that Joe Biden likes. Right, 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 right. Uh, and let I've said on this podcast before that I thought Joe Biden was going to be the uh, Democratic nominee. Um, he's still leading in all the polls. He's somewhere around 30 percent um, coming in second place. And in the high teens is Bernie Sanders. Um, so you obviously still have to take Biden seriously because he is technically the front runner. But I I don't think I, I'm, I have to I think I bet on the wrong horse with old creepy Uncle Joe Biden. I, I, I don't I think he's going to be toast here soon. He's getting me tooed. Uh, which is hilarious. It is always funny when a, a Democrat gets me too. Uh, but, you know, he's being accused of inappropriately touching women. 
Um, he's being accused uh, by of inappropriately touching a female Democratic politician. She was running for statewide office in Nevada in 2014 and alleges that Biden came up behind her and smelled her hair, which is real weird. Um, and just, you know, he's, she's not accusing him of, like, assault or anything like that, just being generally creepy and inappropriate. What do you think uh, the whole Me Too stuff is going to do to Joe Biden's chances? Well, for one thing, it's very clear that uh, this was something that was not only ignored but celebrated for years. This is right. what he's been accused of in this Me Too moment is nothing more than what he has done in, in, in the full view of his colleagues and national television for years uh, right. to 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 not only women but girls underage girls so this is behavior that is obviously inappropriate um i remember three years ago or something sharing some footage of of, of the way he behaved with, with girls and, and saying imagine if this were a conservative catholic politician uh, oh my goodness. It, it would have been over years ago rightly so um right but so the sad thing is that as with the me too movement in general um, in my view, which I, I take, which I really honestly think is barbaric. Uh, I, many of my friends and colleagues disagree with me on this, but I think it has zero merit <laughs> from the get-go. I don't think it's sincere. I think it's been nothing but a dog and pony show. So as with the, the Me Too movement in general, this latest accusation and campaign against Joe Biden isn't a campaign against predatory behavior per se. Instead, it is a weapon aimed against a person who, I guess, got in the way of a more favored Democratic nominee. Right. And this this woman, uh, uh, Lucy Flores, uh, was just photographed recently hanging out with Bernie Sanders. Um, so <laughs> maybe that's the horse that she's betting on. Which, by uh, the way, which, by the way, I, 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 I would find understandable. I mean, I'm not on the left. If I'm on the left, though, I, I would definitely prefer Bernie over Joe. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's a far more effective candidate. And he's far less of a, sw a swamp creature. Although this is kind of on a different topic, but still on the topic of 2020. Um, I think Bernie's going to be in big trouble if he ends up being the nominee, because many people who were going to support Bernie uh, were devastated that he um, ended up selling out so, so terribly. Uh, uh, he was totally uh, treated unjustly by the DNC. And uh, on behalf of Hillary Clinton, and after he was sabotaged and destroyed by his own party, by the establishment in his own party, he meekly tucked his tail between his legs and endorsed the wicked woman who had destroyed him. Right. And you saw you saw a little bit of that backlash with uh, with Ted Cruz running for reelection last year down in Texas. Obviously, he handled the whole Trump thing in the worst possible way. Um, he <laughs> he went to the, the convention in Cleveland, Ohio, refused to endorse Trump, got hammered for it, and then endorsed him and campaigned with him. So he pissed off the Trumpsters by giving this sanctimonious speech that he didn't endorse the, the nominee, and then he pissed off the never-Trumpers by endorsing him later anyway. And that's why you saw, you know, he, he came within something like three and a half points of losing statewide in Texas to, uh, you know, our favorite Irishman, Beto O'Rourke. Um, maybe the only man on the planet that's more Irish than you and I, Stephen. But uh, so you saw, you know, his popularity really. I, I'm not. Away. I'm not Irish at all. Really? No. Everyone thinks I, I am. I, I just assumed. Everyone thinks I am, but no, but no, I'm actually British. So I, I oppressed the Irish. 
Ah, see, that's see, our families a couple hundred years ago would probably not have gotten along. See, I, I would hope you. I, I was hoping you would have just said uh, the opposite of of uh, or you know you would just pull the Beto and said, no, I'm not Irish. I'm I'm Mexican. Well, no, actually, I I, I am an African American woman. Right, right. For tax Amen. purposes. For tax purposes. <laughs> for tax purposes. You're a smart man. You're a smart man, Stephen Harry. <laughs> so, other movement polling wise. In the in the Democratic field is the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, a town of a hundred thousand people. Um, Pete Buttigieg, um, I, I believe I'm pronouncing that right, is actually rising in the polls. He's routinely fourth or fifth in the polls right now, behind you know Biden, Bernie, Kamala Harris, typically. Um, what what do you make of him kind of picking up steam among Democrats? I mean, he's a radical socialist. He is a radical on almost everything. He's a radical on guns. He's a radical on abortion. He's kind of posturing himself as a moderate. Uh, and I think he can only get away with that because he's not a complete idiot. You know, like Bernie Sanders is not a very intelligent man. Um, Joe Biden's not particularly bright himself. Um, so this guy, obviously, he's, you know, went to Harvard. He's a military veteran. He can string complete sentences together without making him sound him making himself sound like a complete dumbass so i think the whole moderate label is just that he's he knows how to read a room a little bit better than these other clowns but what do you make of him and then do you see any other sleepers uh in the in the 2020 field that you have your eye on well i don't know a whole lot about him but in general i have been really interested and somewhat convinced by an argument that's been put forth by kyle kalinsky who's, of course, a far-left a far left commentator. He's over at, uh, what is it, Right Wing Watch? No, he's not with Right Wing Watch. Uh, what is his, where is he? he uh, secular Talk. Right, right, yep. Um, I, I'm, I'm pretty convinced by an argument he made several months ago, um, which is that actually far-left is actually a better bet with voters than moderate. If you're going to go left, shoot the moon. Go all the way. Um, surprisingly, I think that's becoming increasingly true. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I think that far left minus abortion is actually really saleable um, and, and could do really, really well. Because partly, frankly, uh, we have a whole generation that's basically w- was owned by the U.S. government during the Obama years and during their most formative years, late, late high school to, into college. So you have the whole millennial generation was basically spent the first part of their uh, of, of, of their uh, young adulthood uh, in democratic training camps. Um, so they're they're convinced by the rhetoric of the far left, and um, and they also are con- why they're convinced is because as Ben Shapiro has pointed out before as well, um, the rhetoric of the left for the past fifteen years or so has been moral. It's been substantively moral. Right. It's not been practical, <laughs> you know, and, and they get mocked a lot for that. But they shouldn't be mocked for that. The right is wrong to mock them for that because um, uh, that their, their strong, aggressive, moral language is really, 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 really effective. This plays out, by the way, historically. South America went communist because of strong moral language. The Kremlin went out of its way to recruit the Catholic Church in South America. And they, they invented liberation theology because right. that was the best way to speak to a deeply religious populace in South America. Well, Americans are similar, although they're not Catholic. They're, you know, our culture is primarily Anglo-Protestant. But we're still much more convinced 
by the rhetoric of deep morality. That's how the civil rights movement worked, you know. So the left right. has been using that kind of language. Their blind spot, unfortunately, is definitely abortion. They completely just don't they, – they don't they, – it doesn't work to use moral language in support of abortion. But it, with regard to everything else, the economy, they actually do really well in polls. Socialist ideas are, do really well in polls. Sorry. Uh, and, it, and it's because – and you and conservatives kind of push up their glasses and say, well, but that's not practical. It'll, if you do the math, it's not going to work because people you know, end up poor, right? But that's not – that doesn't matter. Uh, it's, it's convincing morally speaking. Like there are poor people. We're a rich country. There shouldn't be poor people. And everyone's like, yeah, it's wrong. It's morally wrong. I want to support the people that are going to right this injustice. You see what I'm saying? Right, right. So the left does very, very well. I, I mean, like Ocasio-Cortez, I think she's a genius. I still do. <laughs> I think she's doing really, really well. I don't think she knows well, what she's talking about, but she's, her she's poll super numbers, effective. Her poll numbers are down in You're her right. own district. It's somewhere around 30%. Like she's polling uh, identical in her own district to President Trump. And it's like a D plus 7,000 uh, <laughs> district or something like that. So I think, what do, her, you think do you think that was Amazon? I mean, driving out, what, 50,000 jobs from your own district isn't yeah. going to help you out too much. I mean, and then bragging about it. Bragging about it, Stephen. Right, <laughs> like, right. Isn't it great? Isn't it great that you're not getting a better job? Aren't I smart that right. you're poor now? Like, right. wow. Oof. You did bring up uh, Ocasio-Cortez, and I know this has nothing to do with what we were talking about, but I do have to throw this out. Um, she said uh, at a town hall, I believe it was Saturday on MSNBC or CNN. What's the difference? One of, one of the two networks. Uh, and she was talking about how she believes Republicans passed the 22nd Amendment, uh, which limits presidential uh, runs to two terms yeah. uh, to keep FDR from running for president again. Obviously, she didn't know that uh, FDR um, died two years <laughs> before the 22nd Amendment uh, went into effect. So if, if, the, if that was a Republican scheme, that is an elaborate plan, an elaborate plan, right. which started two years er earlier by killing the president of the United States. So once again, AOC nailed it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hate to say it. You, you might not like this, but you know who else didn't know that he had died two years prior? Who's that? Everyone. Almost everyone in America doesn't know that. And what's more, they don't care. It's, Sad. It's, it, seriously, it's a small minority of right and left activists who would make anything of that faux pas. So, I mean, it's kind of like, eh, I don't know. It doesn't count for much. Yeah, which says a lot. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of fun, but it's kind of, you know, it's 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 a right. kind of a, it's a team sport that almost no one engages in. Right. Yeah. What one more thing before I let you go uh, and going back to, to 2020, um, even I, I think the only out of the whatever 2021 candidates who have declared that they're running for president, none of them are moderate. I mean, they are wild leftists, maybe with the exception of what's his name, the former Colorado governor, Hickenlooper. He might be a little bit, but he's a he's a radical on a lot of things, too. Like he wants to abolish the Second Amendment. So there's a there, there's no the debate stage is going to look ridiculous. OK, it's going to be 20 people standing up there trying to out socialism each other, try to out left each other. I think it's it's going to be very uniform. Like, we saw there was a ton of candidates that ran uh, for the GOP nomination in 2016, and there was there was a lot of intellectual diversity there. There was a lot of people putting forth 
uh, completely different, wildly different. I mean, you have a Rand Paul and you have a John Kasich on the same debate stage, okay? Like a, a center-left guy and a, and a minarchist libertarian. I don't think you're going to see that at all. Uh, in the in the 2020 debates, which is sad. Like, obviously, I would never, there's no chance in hell I would ever vote for any of them for president, but I do want to see different ideas being debated. One person that I, would, I don't think she's going to make it past Iowa, I don't think she's going to make it to the debates, but I would like to see somebody like Tulsi Gabbard on the debate stage because she is anti-war. She'd be a terrible president because on, on economics, she's basically a communist, but she is great on the war issue. She is anti-war. She served in Iraq and Afghanistan, so she has credibility. It would be nice if she could at least make it to the debate stage so she can actually disagree with her colleagues on the issue of war. I just don't know if she's even going to be able to raise enough money to make it that far. Oh, I think she's terrific. She has the power in her to be the next uh, Bernie Sanders, and she's far more inspiring than him in the long run. She was a supporter of Bernie Sanders, by the way, in 2016. She's much more intelligent and articulate than Bernie Sanders, too. Right. And she's younger. She's she's uh, she's um, she attractive. She is attractive as well. That's true. And that doesn't hurt. Um, But also Bernie Sanders is uh, Bernie Sanders is is angry and eccentric. Um, She is is not so much either of those things. If you hear her speak, uh, she sounds like she could be a voice actress. Right. She, she could, she could work, she could work, she could do books on tape. Um, more than Barack Obama, whose speaking style I, I've always uh, admired, actually. I think it's very effective, even though he stutters a lot. Um, but he has a sort of soothing way of speaking, at least when he doesn't right. lose his temper. When he loses his temper, it's all, all the game's over. But, um, but she she has a very good speaking voice. She sounds very confident. She sounds very calm. And already uh, the DNC is working overtime to sabotage her, which makes her all the more attractive to sincere voters who do not want the establishment anymore. Uh, and Bernie Sanders shot his chances in 2020, in my opinion. I think people are going to ditch him because he ended up endorsing exactly everything he ran against. He endorsed the Wall Street candidate in 2016. Right. Um, and, and that's, you know, from the vantage point, sorry, from the platform of the almost president, he did that, uh, which was right. a huge disappointment for Bernie supporters. Um, so I think she has the power to pick up Bernie's, Bernie supporters. Maybe she's polling under 1% in every major poll. I know. Um, and, and, uh, you know what? So was Trump. You know, it is funny, uh, Obviously, I, I lean libertarian. I think you lean libertarian on a lot of issues, too, um, at least on the war stuff. But um, it is funny. You hear a lot of like hardline libertarians and anarchists uh, talk about the military industrial complex and stuff like that. And uh, I think they take it too far sometimes and, you know, maybe not far enough other other times, or at least the Republican Party doesn't take it far enough. But um, if you look at how the GOP tried to and well, just the establishment in general tried to. Uh, you know, shut down Trump and, and a guy like Rand Paul, and then how they're the DNC is really trying to shut shut down Tulsi Gabbard right now. It does make you want like it, it gives some credibility to the libertarian argument that these people do not want anti-war voices on no. TV. <laughs> they really do not. They want they want the war machine to keep keep churning forward. You know, they they it, it really gives some credence to the military industrial complex talk from the libertarians. Because uh, they're they're viciously going after Tulsi right now, trying to discredit her the same way they did with with 
Ron Paul, Rand Paul, and then President Trump as well. Yes, yes, and and that's a that's a uh, uh, that's a sign that there's something really good about her. Unfortunately, that's the only good thing about her. Like, I mean, she would be a catastrophe, catastrophic president. I think. I mean, economics. She's like to the left of Lenin, so <laughs> it's a uh, terrifying. But yeah, any who who if you had to, I'll let you go right after this. But if you had to put, if you were a betting man, Stephen, who's the Democratic nominee? Who is the Democratic nominee? Who would I bet on? Yeah, see, see, a week and a half ago, I would have said Biden. Um, right, I know, I know. Yeah, I, I guess uh, I would go with Harris, which is a good thing, because frankly, I think it, her personality is uh, almost on par with Hillary Clinton's. It, right. it, is, it is really, really uh, unattractive. Um, she's just a... She, and, and, you know, she spent a lot of her career uh, really contributing uh, to, to what many on the left are increasingly conscientious about, which is a corrupt, uh, uh, a corrupt justice system and prison system. So now she's, she's, she, you know, like going on, uh, on podcasts, uh, with black potheads and trying to pretend she's their friend it's and, 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 and I'm, I'm offended oh, on their behalf. It's oh gosh. I know. I, I, it's, it's so uncomfortable just watching that, that saying she was listening to Tupac. Yeah. With uh, back with breakfast club. And I'm like, you yeah. spent, you were, you put people like. Tupac in prison, Kamala. You, you're you're scary. Was, and she also said she was getting high and listening to Tupac uh, when Tupac would have been around 14 years old, um, something like six years before his debut album. So there's yeah, I mean that's, Mich- that's Mich- like a that's like a hot sauce. Michelle, moment, o- like Hillary Clinton saying yeah. she carries around hot sauce wherever she goes. It's like oh my goodness. Yeah, Michelle Obama and her husband both are are pretty much I think sincere uh, black leftists which is a really specific brand that I actually admire in some ways and has some consistency. Uh, and Kamala does not have that um, at all. I mean, Barack Obama actually did some pretty good work in prison reform during his presidency. And Michelle right. Obama was always a sincere uh, kind of, you know, almost racialist advocate for the black community from a black, from a leftist perspective. And Kamala does not have that. She was specifically, she was a cop. <laughs> who who persecuted people for having weed? It's re- the most repulsive thing. I don't know what they're thinking. It's not. It's gonna. I, I mean, it could just help Candace Owens. Right, and you know, I uh, I might actually. I I have to put some more thought into it. But if I had to bet, I might bet Kamala Harris too, just because I, I see Bernie Sanders fizzling out at some point. Obviously, Biden's Me Too moment's gonna take him down. Um, you know, I don't think. Amy Klobuchar. I, I don't think the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Like I don't see any of these people one, wait, 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 uh, rising quick. to the top. One last thing about Kamala Harris, just to just to really drive home my point. She actively shut down efforts to legalize weed in California when she was AG. Right, right. She personally fought and just and 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 helped to destroy efforts to legalize weed. Which there's something like 75% of the country wants to end the the marijuana prohibition. Oh, any anyone so, yeah. anyone who wants votes should 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 end the prohibition. It's just incredibly popular, and I think it's a really smart move. Politi- yeah, politically speaking, Kamala Harris and Jeff Sessions, the two uh, <laughs> last politicians in the country, they want weed illegal. Yeah, and also you know imagine her on a debate stage with Trump. I mean, say what you want about Trump, he's very quick on his feet on on the debate stage. He really knows how to 
just pick at his opponent, how to tear him down. He's funny. He's engaging. Kamala Harris is not funny. She's not engaging. She has that Hillary Clinton's cackling self-laugh thing that they both do that's just extremely off-putting. So, yeah, well, she's I, I also, think— uh, She's also authoritative, which is the wrong right. fact to take with him. You can't look like just the that. underdog— when you're Little Miss, not Little Miss, Big Miss, I mean, she's not a Little Miss anything. She she has the bearing and the general presentation of an authority figure who jails people. That isn't that isn't the right thing to do with with Trump. You want to if you you know if I'm a Democrat, if I'm advising Democrats, you don't you don't want to put someone on the stage with Trump that looks like another authoritarian. You want to put somebody on the stage who looks like the underdog sticking it to the man. And Kamala Harris is the man. It doesn't look good. (laughs) Right. Right. I totally agree with you there. I totally agree with you there. I'm out of time, so I have to let you go. But first, Stephen, where can everybody find you online? Where can everybody check out your show, which I highly recommend? It is terrific. Thank you very much. Yes, uh, you can find the show, CVTV, Catholic Vote TV. You can find it at YouTube slash watch cvtv youtube slash watch cvtv and you can find me on twitter at Stephen harriet everybody check out the show everybody follow Stephen. he's great i'm sure i'll have him back on soon uh steven thanks so much for doing this again it's always a great time chatting with you that's all i got for today i'm brady leonard i'll be back on wednesday no gimmicks uh-huh.